Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Welcome to my latest experiment. This is a big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. I just want to relax. Nice lukewarm bath. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I can hold this. Sarah Connor. Now look, carnage. Dead. Dead, dude. Well, what's fun about that? Quite sweet, really, aren't they? God, I love this street. No one. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures. I'm Claire. This is this is Bill and Bobby. No, Death Stare, Missy. I didn't, because you did it right. Right is saying your real name, but of <laughs> course you want me to do the wrong way. Um, So if it takes me a little bit longer to answer today, it's because I have an ear infection, and it took us like 30 minutes just to just to set up so that I could actually hear with the microphone. <laughs> I mean been, headphones. It's been quite the logistical nightmare to get this one going, but... We're ready now. Wolfman's got Nards and Monster Squad. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, we did something. I what I think is pretty special. A couple weeks back, um, as part of the Doc Until You Drop tour, Andre Gower and uh, Henry Darrow McComas brought their documentary Wolfman's Got Nards, uh, which is really uh, just a look at the life of the movie The Monster Squad. After it was released, you know, it didn't make a big hit um, and it slowly started to find a cult following and they just kind of track all the people's experiences with it. And I, I think the takeaway from the movie and and Henry says it really quite well in our interview with him. Um, but he says, uh, you know, if you've ever loved a movie, uh, you'll be able to connect to Wolfman's Got Nards because it's not just about the Monster Squad and the fans that brought it back to life. Um, it's really about loving cinema and the things that we get out of it. But the thing that made it special was that, Claire, you got to come and participate in the interview, Um, which, like, Claire, I don't get enough of a chance to say this, uh, but I have been just like as a dad, really, really happy with how you've been doing um, with Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures and watching your ability to analyze movies and talk about them grow has been really extremely rewarding. But this conversation, I think, took your skill set to the next level because you sat in on this interview and I think you were the star of the interview. I definitely think that Henry and Andre were taken with Claire. They mentioned her in the Q&A afterwards and they seemed really excited when we met up with them in the lobby afterwards. Um, And Claire wanted to get one of her drawings signed and Andre tried to take it home with him. And we were like, oh, no, 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 we... (laughs) Wow, we nothing. Claire was like, Andre, sir, no, this is mine. This is you mine. sign it and you give it back to me. I'm taking it with me. I just, you've gift. seen it. You can take a picture if you want, but this is coming home with me. Yeah. But he, I mean, I think that they were really impressed with you and had a good time. Well, what about you? Did you have a good time? Yeah. But I can't be the star of the interview because the star of the interview is, is Henry and Andre. Too right. And, and that's, you know, like, I think you were a pro. In that interview, like it's not really easy to find the fine line between um, talking about movies that you love in a podcast like Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures and interviewing somebody else. You know, I think the the words of guidance that I gave you beforehand was just remember the focus of the interview is the people that you're bringing on to talk. And you crushed it. Unlike me, who couldn't remember what episode of Star Wars uh, Empire Strikes Back was. I have no idea how that happened, but oh my God. And then I was the one who had to edit that episode of the Jackass. So I got to relive my shame multiple times. Do you know, I have sat through so many interviews and podcast recordings, you guys doing it, your dad interviewing other people, and I've never made a sound. I am very quiet. You don't know I'm there until. He named the wrong episode of Star Wars and my whole life flashed before my eyes. All of my choices seemed suddenly wrong because I thought I had married someone who loved Star Wars like I love Star Wars. And it turned out, (laughs) no, had not. And you can't hear it in the episode because he edited it out. But in the interview, I was like, no. (laughs) 
Yes, that is exactly what happened. And then I turned a color of red, I would say that approximates the color of the office in which we're recording cherry. right now. Yeah, cherry right red. red. I don't think I've ever turned that red in any interview that I have ever done. Your well, face was you've actually never shamed red. your family in an interview before. <laughs> it was actually red. It was redder than your jacket. I know. I know. It was like, uh, have you seen Willy Wonka? You know, when the girl uh, turns into a blueberry, you're Violet. Violet. Dad was like that. Only a tomato. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things while we were talking during the interview, though, um, where my great shame of of alleged Star Wars fandom was discovered, um, Henry pitched his Wakampa Star Wars trilogy. I'm not kidding. I want to see that movie. I want to see those series of movies entirely. I wanted to be the um the girl the girl Wampa or Wonka whatever. Wampa. Yeah. Yeah. The Wakampa. I I can't I I would need like a much more detailed pitch, frankly, because the the Wampas are bad guys and the Wookies are victims and not bad guys, and I can't understand how that's right. gonna. It's I don't like get Romeo it. and Juliet. Uh, no, the only Romulans if Romeo and the was Jack the Ripper. Like, <laughs> you could say he could at the beginning. He could in the title, in the thing, in the Star Wars. He could say the Wampas backed out of being in the Empire, and they disappeared. Nobody knows where they are except for the Wakapas, except for the Wakandas or whatever. And then <laughs> that's a whole other Disney owns that one too, though, so that might work out. Um, but I, you really don't need more than. Um, a Wookiee-centric movie filmed in the Apocalypto style with no uh, subtitles to get my attention. Like, that sounds pretty great. Uh, Claire, you haven't seen Apocalypto yet. Um, yeah, I don't know if that one's going to go on the uh, the roster of Bill and Claire's episodes. Um, so we're here to talk about Wolfman's Got Nards today. But before we get into that, I think we should talk a little bit about Monster Squad. And, you know, the reason that I had brought you along to see this uh, documentary anyways was because of the dive that we've been doing into the Universal Classic Horror Monsters and the fact that this was a chance to get them all on the screen. So what did you think of the Monster Squad, Claire? Frankenstein's good. <laughs> you know, that's funny that you say that because um, like while we were watching all these universal movies, like the biggest thing that you had to say about the villains for all of them was like, and you know what's better is all these characters as good people instead of villains. And in the Monster Squad, you get to see Frankenstein turn good. It's kind of like that Live in Maddie episode where uh, where it's a Halloween special and there's a duplicates of two of the characters. And one of the characters, um, when the amulet was dropped in Hamas and the transformation didn't go completely, and all he could say was, all he could say was like, Wumpa or something like that. And it's kind of like me where I was just like, Frankenstein's good. <laughs> um, so what did you think about the fact that I, like so for me in the monster squad I think the real hero of the story is uh Phoebe Sean's uh little sister um because she saves the day at the end of the day she's the pure virgin she is the pure virgin um but she also is there to embrace Frankenstein and show him that he can be good and uh she reads the incantation at the end to send them all away from earth to banish them and she cries big tears when Frankenstein has to go with them. The thing is, it was kind of weird because at the beginning of the year, the pure virgin gets sucked up by the thing. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the movie, she doesn't. So I don't get why they, if they're going to have her live in the end of the movie, why would they have her go through the portal? It doesn't even have anything to do with the rest of the movie. So I don't get what, what, the, what the deal with that was. Well, but I think they all got sucked into the portal at the beginning because they blew it. Right. That's the whole thing at the beginning. Right. They blew it. Um, and then at the end, they get it right. And so only the bad guys get uh, sent away. All right. What else? Did, what was your favorite part of the Monster Squad? Again, why do I have to say this over and over and over again? Frankenstein is good. <laughs> All right. So aside from Frankenstein is good, do you have anything else that you'd like to say? Andre Gower, if you're watching this, your play of Sean was very, how do I word this? Extraordinary. 
I think Andre did a great job as Sean in the book. Like he was especially as a kid. Right. Like he wasn't an adult playing in it and it was just animated to look like a kid. He was he was a kid. And I mean he's only really a couple years older than you in the movie. Like is I I think that he did an amazing job uh, coming in and carrying that movie. Um, him and uh, Ryan Lambert as Rudy, the cool kid. Um, and then Ashley Bank as Phoebe. I mean, Ashley Bank, I think is phenomenal too, as, as the younger sister, cause she's five or six and she like, it's not a, it's not a weird twist of the movie, a weird reading to say that she's the hero of the story. She saves the day at the end and she has a really big role on her shoulders and she does a great job. She does, and she was really well cast, too, I think, for the movie because some of those images of Frankenstein just huge and looming and hulking, walking, holding hands with this little tiny petite girl with the long curly hair and the dress and everything, um, I, I really enjoyed that imagery. I thought it was really well done. I think Ashley Bank did a great job because because it looked like she was real. Like if they were real characters, she looked like real people, she looked like she was actually expressing anger in those parts where she, where she was angry. Oh yeah, for sure. For expressing sure. fear. She was real. She's a really good actor. Yeah, she is, and especially when you're dealing with child actors, I think sometimes there's a tendency, uh, for them to kind of overplay the role. You know, where it seems, it feels a bit more like a kid playing make believe as opposed to, you know, you. Feeling but, like this is really happening. Um, and I definitely, I think all the kids in the movie, it, it felt very genuine. You know, that was one of my favorite parts of our conversation with Andre and Henry uh, at the Winchester was, uh, you know, when you asked Andre a question about the friends that he made and the relationships that he was happy with, one of the ways that he answered that question was to say that, um, like, he didn't meet the villains of the story, the actors who played the villains of that story until after they were done filming. So like Duncan Regeer played Count Dracula. He was, Duncan Regeer was always in character as far as um, Andre Gower was concerned when they were on set. And so like in the Wolfman's Got Nards documentary, they talk about the fact that like Ashley Bank went into that scene at the end of the Monster Squad where Duncan Regeer, Count Dracula, picks her up. And it wasn't Duncan Regeer playing a scary guy that picked her up um, and called her a bitch. It was Count Dracula. And then they've got the color contacts in his eyes. And so he opens it and he snarls at her and he's got the teeth and she just shrieks. And, you know, the story that they tell in Wolfman's Got Nards is that her fear was so real in that moment that as she was shrieking, her throat closed up and she couldn't get the full scream out. Um, and then Fred Decker was like, that was perfect, perfect. But we need to do it again. We need to let the scream out this time. <laughs> and, you know, I remember watching that and thinking, you know, I have had nightmares where I it was so intensely scary and I tried to scream and no sound comes out. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I felt so connected to her in that moment because it was like, yes, I know exactly what that feels like when you're so scared and you're trying to scream and no sound is coming out. And, you know, it uh, it made me really kind of uh, connect. Yeah, it made me really connect and, and like feel how much fear that kid must have been experiencing in that moment. Okay, um, but you're also a parent. So what do yeah. you think of Fred Decker scaring the holy hell out of uh, young Ashley Bank to I, get his shot? You know what? <laughs> like, he was really young. I think he said he was 25 or something. Yeah, something like that. So he's not a parent. Uh, you know, he's doing what he thinks is the best to get his movie. And he was right. Um and, you know, the, the cut that they ended up using was not the first one. So even after that experience, he said, okay, let's do it again. And she said, okay. Like, she didn't, you know, said, no, I'm never doing this ever again. What do you think about that, Claire? Great parenting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm for it. Is what uh, another, is what a horror movie would say. Oh, yeah, sure. I, but I see, I'm okay with it. I think it's fine. I, I think uh, the parents probably are on set. And they're participating, and so they at least are signing off on it being okay. And it obviously didn't scar uh, Ashley Bank for life. Uh, so I think they, they did a pretty fair job all in of, of balancing that equation. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts of the documentary. I love when he said that he uh, didn't tell her what to expect. He just said, okay, he's going to pick you up, and he's going to be really scary, and then you scream. And she said, when? And he said, you'll know. 
like so like in making movies that's that's an approach that directors can choose to take do they want to tell their actors what's going to come so that they can prepare for it and give a professional performance um or do they want to surprise them so they can get the surprise reaction i have two examples for you uh so um there's a, a scene in a movie called die hard of a villain uh one of the villains he's hanging off the side of a skyscraper right and there's a very famous shot where the camera is looking down at the actor um, and they've got it, you know, set up. So he's not hanging off the actual side of a skyscraper. You know, he's maybe 10 or 15 feet in the air. Um, but they tell him they're going to drop him for the shot. And he's like, OK, I'm ready to go. And they, they're like, all right, we're going to count down. It's not exactly like this, but they're like, we're going to count down from five and we're going to drop you when we get to zero. OK. And he's like, OK, I'm ready. And they go, you know, five. He's, he's still good. Four. All right, I'm 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 ready. I'm getting in my game face. Three drop, and the look on his face is what's happening. Um, and so they they dropped him before they uh, he was you know ready to do it. Um, and the shot looks great in the movie, and you'll know it when you see it. Um, but they tricked him to do it. The flip side of that coin, though, is in another movie uh, called Stripes with uh, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. They uh, they join the army, right? And so they go off to boot camp and their drill instructor is a, a very famous actor uh, named Warren Oates. And, you know, this movie came out in the mid 80s and Warren Oates had been making movies for years at this point. And he is genuinely one of the greatest actors to ever be on screen. And I really look forward to exploring some of his movies. He plays um, like some free love characters. He plays Real gritty, down-on-their-luck guys. He is a tremendous actor, a consummate professional. And so uh, Ivan Reitman, who's directing the movie, um, wants a scene where Warren Oates is supposed to go down into the ground. And he tells one of the actors to surprise him and just go ahead and tackle him in the middle of the shot and just see what happens. And in the course of it, Warren Oates hits the ground, chips one of his teeth, and he comes up and he tells Ivan Reitman off. And he says, if you want me to go down on the ground, you tell me I'm a professional. I'll get in the dirt. I'll throw myself in the mud, whatever you want. But you tell me and you let me do it like a professional. Um, and so it just, you know, as directors, you have to decide how do you want to treat your actors and what's going to be best for the movie and how do you balance their interest in professionalism? What side do you think you would come down on, Claire? Would you trick your actors or would you tell them exactly what you want to prepare them? Both. <laughs> how would you decide between okay. which so on what for example if i was die hard mm -hmm. i was the act i was the thing i would say all right on three we're gonna drop you one he's ready mm -hmm. two he's ready to be dropped three he's like what's happening mm -hmm. four he's like what the hell and then five we drop him and his face is like his face is like i don't care what you're doing it's like one of the it's like in the uh Willie Grace episode where he's where he's screaming and then he's like having like a tea and acting and like and like reading a book and relaxing at the thing and then he's screaming again so it would be so if I were to say uh we're gonna tell you this and then he and then we drop it at a different time it would technically be tricky but then also telling him what what is gonna happen mm. I mean it's so both I, yeah and it's and it's a tricky thing I think to make those choices but I think that we forget um, when we're watching the movies about how precious that relationship is between director and actor and how much trust there really is in it. But you know what? I think that there's a similarity between your diehard example and Fred Decker's directing that's different from Ivan Reitman. And it, and it comes down, it's almost like a consent issue. Like Decker did not conceal the fact that the little girl was going to be hefted up into the air. Yep. Um, your diehard example, they did not conceal the fact that he's going to be dropped. They're saying this is what is going to happen to your body and the person is fine with it. What they kept, uh, you know, and played close to the vest is when. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fundamentally different than tackling someone who doesn't know they're about to hit the ground mm -hmm. and they haven't had an opportunity to say, no, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, and and to me, there's a difference there that comes down to respect, you know, and the director respects the actors. He's saying, I recognize that your body is yours and I'm telling you how I want you to move it. But ultimately, you have the right to say no versus a director who's like, you signed that contract, so I own you. Totally agree. What do you think, Claire? 
He signed that contract I own you as me. <laughs> it does sound like Claire. <laughs> Claire, the tyrannical dictator director. Um, do you have anything else, either of you, that you would like to say about the Monster Squad before we move on? Actually, I think everything that I have to say about Monster Squad really falls under Wolfman's Got Nards, like okay. how it was received and that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's talk about Wolfman's Got Nards. Documentary. Uh, the documentary. Claire, is Wolfman's Got Nards your first documentary? I've seen other documentaries, but I don't even watch the whole of it. I like mm-hmm. start it. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to watch the movie. Because, like, the title doesn't even say it's a documentary. It just says, like, something, something. And then in the description, it says, Awesome World of Fish. Then I get into the documentary, and the first couple of minutes, he's just talking about the boring facts of fish that I already know. And I stop it. I skip to, like, we, later. Have we had this conversation already where you talk about the mantis shrimp? This is, you watched a mantis shrimp documentary? Oh, yeah, yeah I, did. I think during the interview, maybe? Yeah, Was I'm that not sure. during the interview that you talked about the mantis shrimp? Um, I'm realizing though now as she's talking about this that this is entirely my fault because when she was like two years old and did not want to go to sleep and getting her to sleep was really difficult. I used to trick her into falling asleep by playing the uh, Blue Planet documentary series. (laughs) That's why all she can think about is boring fish. Huh. Boring fish documentaries. (laughs) So Claire, um, what was your favorite part about Wolfman Scott Nards? What stood out to you the most? 20 minutes of Brent Chalem. I so Brent Chalem played uh Horace, uh aka uh the fat kid. Um and I I I really didn't know this, but I'll I'll clear I'll let you uh uh talk about this part of it. One, it was sad. Also, before I do, this is the first see inside sneak peek. If you haven't seen Monster Squad, they should go watch it before yeah. listening to this part is your is that what you're trying to say? No. Wolfman's Got Nards and Monster Squad. Oh, because, watch both. Because okay. Brett Chalub is is in both, but the bit about him is in Monst- is blah, blah, blah. Wolfman's Got Nards, which the reason the movie is named, I'm glad that I get to say this, the reason the movie is named is because at the end, when, the, when, when Brett Chalub kicks the Wolfman in the guts, he says, Ew, Wolfman's Got Nards. So... Just to be clear, because it's an 80s reference and I think maybe uh, not a word that people use now your age, um, he did not kick him in the guts. He kicked him in the nuts. And he said, Wolfman's got nards, referring to testicles. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it would be like if you've ever heard a kid say balls, like, oh, I kicked him in the balls, right? In the 80s, they said, kicked him in the nards. We say balls. Yeah. We more, say balls. We're, more, we're much better modern than Oh, you guys my were. God. <laughs> balls is modern. Okay. Anyways, so Wolfman's got nards. And so, so, I brought Caleb, went to high school a couple years after. Anybody girl he really liked. Not going to get a two into that so that you could see the big part of the movie. And he was diagnosed with pneumonia and... Then the doctors, you so, messed up with the medicine. You gave it the wrong medicine. Yeah, so uh, Brent Chalem is a young man in his um, 20s, I think. Uh, had was- asthma, and he caught... Maybe um, it was just after. Yeah, it was just after high school, I think. He caught pneumonia and was admitted to the hospital. He's being treated for the pneumonia, and they discharged him probably too soon, given that he had asthma. Uh, and he went home, and he got worse, and he came back to the emergency room, and while he was in the emergency room, they gave him a medication that is not safe for people with asthma. And they don't go into detail. I'm not sure if it's because it conflicts with the asthma medication or if it has something to do with breathing. Um, but he went into a uh, unresponsive state for several hours and then died. That's sad. And, and real. I mean, you know, we have asthma in this family and we've had serious bouts of pneumonia to get through. It's... Um... That 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 is feels really immediate, um, but I I think part of you know one of the things that the documentary reflects on is that you know Brent Chalem was a really uh, sweet guy. It sounds like, and you know the thing that separates a movie like The Monster Squad from a movie like Goonies, which I grew up with, is that you know in Goonies, Chunk is a fat kid joke from start to finish. 
and in the monster squad, Horus kills the creature, cocks the shotgun, and says, I'm not fat kid. My name is Horus. And like, I really love his arc and I love the way that he portrays that and how uh, clearly open as a, as a person he had to be to be so giving into that role because it's really well done. Um, and it's, it's always a tragedy to lose somebody when they're so young. It is. And what was so incredibly sad in this particular case, though, is that Monster Squad, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, in a minute, did not uh, have... A, a really good reception when it was initially released. It, it was a financial failure. Um, Never it, even got to see it get famous. Exactly. And he died before Monster Squad fans found each other on the internet and uh, were able to I, sort I of... I thought it was found each other in person. Well, and that too. And that too. But the point is that when he died, he didn't know that he had thousands of fans out there. Um, you know, he thought that his movie was a flop. And he had self-esteem issues about the way that he looked. And he had no idea that there were kids all over the world who watched his character arc and felt better about themselves um, because they were different. Including me. As a result. Oh, you connected with his character? How so? Actually, I don't want to say anything. Okay. That's okay. Um, That's kind of the tragedy of art sometimes is that you do something I think that's so obviously really wonderful and it just doesn't find an audience. And, you know, the Monster Squad, that's that's what happened. You know, Fred Decker carried his dissatisfaction with the way that it was received and how it made him feel around for a long time. And it's it it's it's strange to think what if the Monster Squad had received the same open arms welcoming that um goonies did and i I mean i was a goonies kid growing up i'm not i'm not you know claiming that i was a a monster squad kid all along but i think when you look at that movie it's it's obviously great in 2006 they uh reissue uh the movie on dvd and it suddenly becomes accessible in a way that it hadn't been in the last 10 years and all of a sudden people start watching the movie and talking about it again. And, you know, there'd been a kind of a diehard fan. 20 cult. years, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but so, yeah, in 2006, uh, it gets released on DVD and it, and it really starts to expand interest and you see a resurgence in fandom. Didn't he say it was like the top selling DVD for that company that year? Yeah. It's, it's, it's something insane like that. Um, that it was like, just everybody was waiting for the opportunity to rediscover it. And um, I, like, I think that's really awesome. And that, that movement steamrolls until the 30th anniversary in 2017 when they take um, Andre Gower, uh, Ryan Lambert, who played the cool kid Rudy with the leather jacket and the bike, um, and Ashley Bank, who played the younger sister Phoebe, uh, go on the road on tour with it to something like 25 Alamo draft houses or 20 Alamo draft houses. And while they're doing that and they're like, well, we're going to, you know, we, we could do something here with this. Right. Um, and they film a documentary while they're doing it. And so this documentary has a lot of interviews of like all the fans and the artists who are inspired by uh, the monster squad and, you know, what that has meant to them in their lives and it's all mashed up against this real mad dash tour of a revival to basically like them taking the Monster Squad to church. And you have all these people who are just such huge, enormous fans of it. All the theaters are sold out um, and it's just a massive success. And, you know, this story starts in, you know, the movie being lost and, and people not being interested in it. Um, and it and it finishes with this, you know, monstrously successful uh, revival tour and then you get to live that through the Wolfman's Got Nards documentary which I, I think is a really like magical way to rediscover film uh, so you know one of the things you know like I, I think we said this at the beginning of the episode but you know Henry talked about this uh, is that you know this movie Wolfman's Got Nards isn't just about the monster squad and the fans that brought it back to life um, it's through the lens of the Monster Squad, but I think what Wolfman's Got Nards is about is loving movies and what that love of movies in particular 
and art can do to transform people and inspire them to create more and bring more into the world. And so, Claire, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, you know, was, is there a movie that you have connected with, like some of these people connected with the Monster Squad, that makes you want to create things? What just came up was um, the scene was the scene where he pulled where Brett Chalen pulled the shotgun with the mean kids and was like, My name is my name is Horace. Mm-hmm. And that what that's the part that I kind of connected with. Mm-hmm. That unlike I don't connect with movies, I connect with parts in them. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I just can't. It's just how I'm how I'm going. How how did you <laughs> I I no I I want to talk more about that. I think that's really interesting. I don't think that's weird at all. Um I think fandom is a fascinating thing and I think that there are people who become obsessed with stories and I think that's great. I don't think that there's anything weird about that, but I I do think it's normal also to connect with characters and moments because I think really the things that define us as people are the moments that we collect and remember in our lives. And so I don't think it's too strange from the way that we process our own histories and internalize them as what makes us us um, to just pull out significant moments that have kind of shaped us. Can you think of some other significant moments that you have connected to in movies or stories that, you know, you really identify with? Um, in a TV show I watched, again, Liv and Maddie, um, Liv feels awful because because Liv gave up doing a sh- Gave up doing a show, gave up Hollywood, just to go to college with Maddie, and then Maddie gets the college certificate that she really wanted, and she gives up on Liv and going to school with Liv, and decides to go to the place she's always wanted to go to, and it hurt Liv really badly. And why is that so significant to you? Because um, I had because I had chosen to do something over doing another thing, and. And no, and that person never wanted to talk to me again hmm. because I missed out on them, and all for for a thing that didn't even that decided that they decided not even to happen. Mm-hmm. What other moments can you think of? Any other shows or movies or anything that stand out to you that kind of makes sense to you as a person? Um, in Outdaughtered, a character named Blake, um. She she doesn't get as much attention because of the quints, and when and the and as the people say, like in the documentary, they say we're worried that we don't give enough time to Blake, and um, I feel that because because you guys are always giving your you're mostly giving your undivided attention to Harper and Quinn, and it's like it's like when Harper and Quinn get in trouble. It's mainly my fault. You're like, why didn't you stop them? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? You, you got a lot of responsibility as the oldest one. More responsibility than you feel like you get attention sometimes. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm, it, it would necessarily look like that, right? Because we have three daughters. And so two-thirds of the time we're paying attention to other daughters, right? Yeah. That's a tough thing, I think, to grow up with. And... I know that Blake says that she loves her sisters, but sometimes, but sometimes when her sisters do weird things and she doesn't get the attention she wants, she'll kind of just get, she'll she'll kind of, I don't want to be mean to Blake, but she'll kind of try to, um, she'll kind of try to get more. She acts out. Yeah. She acts out and tries to get more attention. Like. Like she'll shove herself into a con- into something she doesn't need to. Like for example, if the quints are having a fight, she'll just run over and just push the quints away from each other. Like just put her hands on the quints and push them away from each other. So she'll try to act more of a big sister to get more of attention. Hmm. But it is that work. why sometimes you get involved in telling your sisters how things should be? Is so that you can be more engaged and have more like attention from either us or your sisters. Hmm. They don't even want me in their room. <laughs> Do you want them in yours? That's different. They're gross. <laughs> They're gross. Well, these I'm are the not. burdens of being an oldest child, though. Your mom and I are both oldest children. And, um, you know, old is children. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're old. I get it. <laughs> um, but I like I grew up having the most responsibility, and and I definitely know what it's like. Um, kind of be the first one who's going through all this stuff. You know, I think you probably have it hardest a lot of the time because all the things that you want to do are first for your mom and I in terms of like helping you get out to do them. And then when your sisters get to go do them, we're a little bit more practiced and a little bit more knowledgeable about what needs to be done to make things easier. Yeah, I have a very vivid memory of being in middle school um, and saying to my parents, you let her, referencing my sister who is six years younger than me, um, you let her do things that you would never have let me do at that age. And they were like, yeah, we do. And their point, you know, I mean, I'm sure they had one, was probably something along the lines of, like, you were our first, we didn't know, whatever. Uh, but but the only part of that conversation I remember was <laughs> them validating what I thought. And then I was even more angry, like, and you realize it. You know, that makes it worse. It's tough, right, Claire? Yeah, yeah, it can be hard to be an only child. I um oldest child. Sorry, like oldest child. You're I, right. I, <laughs> Opposite I, of an only child. Sometimes, because I because I know that Harper would probably never like like listen to this. Don't ever let them listen to this. <laughs> to say something I'll never ever say again. Okay. Sometimes I wish I was an only child. Sure. Because if I was an only child, I wouldn't have to share a bathroom with them. I would get a bigger. Uh-huh. I would get two playrooms. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I would have more time with you guys. All the attention would be to me. Well, what if I said sometimes your mom and I wish we had only one child? Which child would you be referencing? <laughs> yes, that's that is the miracle question, isn't it? And I have no comment. If well, it's me, then you guys are very good parents. If it is not me, you guys are stupid parents. I I I think that it's totally normal to wish that you were an only child sometimes, and I think it's totally appropriate to never share that with your sisters. Um, I think both of those things make a lot of sense. Um, sometimes I think that I should tell them that I wish I was an only child, oh. and then I'm like, you know what? Never mind. They already have enough problems. Now, let me tell you something. This is serious. My sister remembers every mean thing I ever said to her. I don't remember them, but she does. Because, and you won't understand this, I don't understand this, your dad doesn't understand this, because we're like a oldest kids club here. <laughs> um, but apparently, I'm told, when you have an older sibling, you, they are your idol. Like, you worship them. You want to be like them. No, um, I disagree totally. I, I, I Your sisters want to be you. They Everything you do is cool. Why do you think they always want to be in your room? And so when the person... But then how come they don't let me be in my room? I mean, blah, blah, blah. don't let me be in their room. Well, that's different. That's Claire, their room. No, I disagree. I disagree again. Claire, how protective of you are are you of your space? Oh, yeah. It is a Claire trait that your room is your room and you want it to be your room, right? And the playroom is playroom. And right, that's but, what but, I want but, it to be my room, too. But my point is, is that your sisters have watched you grow up and get your own room and say, this is an important thing in life. You have to have your own space. And they're doing what you showed them how to do by saying, no, this is our room and we have to have our own space. And that's what makes us like a cool older kid. Yeah. No, I think your dad's right. And when the person that you love most in the whole world that you want to be like, that you idolize, says something mean to you. It is just devastating in a way that break, you break down like Quinn does. When we when we corrected her when she was little and learning how to speak, she would just not talk for days. And now, still like that. When when I correct her or Harper corrects her, she just quiets down for a couple minutes or even a couple hours. Like sometimes she doesn't even cry. She just sits in her bed and says nothing. Well, I, I think Quinn's biggest fear in the world is doing something that you or Harper think is foolish or silly when she doesn't mean to be foolish or silly. She wants to be perfect, just like you. Yeah, and and it, it's just fundamentally different. Like, you can say to us, sometimes I wish I was an only child, and we're like, yeah, I get that. I remember feeling that way. 
Oh, dude, I used to think, man, my sister gets so much nicer stuff than me. And, you know, my parents would be like, look, you're different people. We interact with you differently. This is not your business. This is her stuff. We're talking to her. And I would be like, that's just a bunch of nonsense. It is a bunch of nonsense. (laughs) But, you know, if they like if Harper were to say to you one day when she was just really mad, I wish I was an only child. You'd be like, yeah, me too. Sometimes like it would not. That would not hurt you in the same way that it would hurt them if you said it to them. I genuinely believe that. I actually feel like that because, like you, when I asked, when me and Harper asked if we could have, if we could have bunk beds, you were like, "Hold hard, no." When I bring Quinn, I, it, no, that was all me. I said no, flat no. I was pointing no, at Billy just yeah. for the record. Yeah. And I was pointing at her because she's the one who said no. No, you were having the conversation with your mom and she was the bearer of bad news. And in fairness, I didn't dictate that it should be so, but your mom didn't have a very strong opinion about it at the time. And I had a very strong opinion about it. And in fairness, the reason he had a strong opinion about it is because he broke his arm on a bunk bed at eight years old. I did. Yeah, it was a big deal. And our oldest child has a propensity for throwing herself down flights of stairs and on the ground and just wherever and catching herself with her face. Yeah, this goes back to that whole you're different people, we parent you differently. <laughs> I thought that was nonsense until we had you and then Harper. And it was like, oh no, this, mm-hmm, yep, they're very different because you may not remember this, but when you all three shared a room for a while, um, we caught you climbing up on top of the changing table and launching yourself into the air to land on the mattress. Yeah. Like yeah. like Superman style. <laughs> like if you had missed the mattress, you would not have fallen on your feet because you, you were jumping on your face. face first. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that was the context in which the question was posed to me. Hey, do you think it would be okay if we got Claire and Harper bunk beds? No. No, yeah. Claire and would said, die. No, Claire would jump off of it. <laughs> Not fall off. That's what most parents are afraid of. Oh, what if they fall? He was not worried you would fall. He was 100% worried you would launch yourself off of it intentionally. That's what heartbreak would do. They get, they climb on the side of the bed and they jump off. <laughs> and I only did that once. No, no you only no, got no, caught no. once. Yeah, That's yeah. different. <laughs> you did that Because a lot. literally your defense when we caught you was, I do this all the time and I don't get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I think we're getting off track a little bit. Um, I, I really feel like in a roundabout way, we've really talked a lot about Wolfman's Got Nards and a Monster Squad. Um, and so I think that we should wrap up the conversation unless anybody has, is there, is there something that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about? The only thing that I really wanted to talk about that we haven't covered, um, and we don't need to go in super detail into it because we talked a lot about the MPAA in the um, Frankenstein sure. and its Bride episode, but I was really shocked in the Wolfman's Got Nards documentary when they were talking about just how thoroughly their rating killed their movie because the Wolfman's Got Nards got a PG-13 rating, um, which meant that parents could not send their kids to the movie to see it. They had to go with them. Unless if they were 13 or older. Right. But we're talking, I mean, you know, the sort of like the 8 to 13 crowd, I think, is is where they thought a lot of their fans would come from. Um, And... Um, and it just killed it because parents did not really want to go sit through a movie about monsters or a kid's movie. And, uh, the kids who they really felt like would love this movie. And it turned out that they were right. Cause a lot of those kids kind of grew up and found it a little bit later. Um, weren't able to go see it. And then they said in England, it got a rating that meant that nobody under the age of 15 could see it. Even if a parent was willing to go with them. Yeah. Um, so the, the film is great. There's nothing wrong with Monster Squad. Um, Why would you get that though? Cause there's nothing, cause except for the Wolfman Guts Nards and the shotgun, there's really nothing you see that's inappropriate. Like the blood, you, they actually, it's, you could tell it's fake blood because it looks like, chi- cause it looks like tomato sauce. I completely It doesn't agree even look you. like blood. I completely agree with you. I don't see anything in that movie that's inappropriate for children and- I don't know. Maybe the word bitch. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of spicy language in it. Um, yeah, which, like, by the way, just like the hey, F word. Well, hey, but hey, speaking of F words, um, I I do want to just since we're saying that right now because we talked a little bit about Nards and slang earlier. 
Um, they use they use an F word in this movie that is not the one you're thinking of. Um, they say fag as a mean thing to say to Horace when they're taunting him. Have you heard that word before? Do you know what that word means? So fag is a word um, that became really popular in the 80s and 90s. And I suppose it would be fair to say is, is still fairly popular today, although you see it less. Um, that's a slur against gay people. And it's, it's a mean way to describe a gay person. And the way that people would use it is they would call somebody that word and it would be to say, ah, you're doing something stupid. You look like a gay person while you're doing it. Um, He's eating chocolate and, wa- and reading Superman comics. All boys and girls do that. Oh, I, I agree. Um, but it's one of those words that got into kind of this idea of, of like normal everyday vocabulary that people would use to call something. And it was incredibly hurtful to gay people. And so you don't see that word a lot today. And some of these movies that we have shown you from the 80s do use this word. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has the F word in it. Uh, they call each other that. Oh. Yeah. And Maybe that's playful teasing. It's not like the it is, doesn't matter. It, it, there it, are some words that it is not okay to say. It doesn't matter if you're joking. It doesn't matter if your friend likes it when the, you call them that or anything like that. It is not okay. Slurs in general, whether it's a slur against somebody because of their color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their religion, anything like that are totally unacceptable. And the fact that they thought that they were okay in the 80s and 90s is not an excuse. Did you ever use those words, Miss? Not those, but I am guilty of saying retard. When I was a kid, that was really common, and people used it in in a joking fashion. And I absolutely did say that, and it took me a lot of years to understand why that was not okay. What does retard mean? Um, retard is a slur for, um, people who have, uh, cognitive disabilities like, um, down syndrome or, um, a traumatic brain injury or something like that. But there, there's something, um, either, uh, they were born, um, or something happened to them. They had an accident or something like that. Um, but people didn't quite use it that way. They just, again, it was like this. It was like, oh, if you're doing something stupid, Right. We say this word. I I think the biggest difference between the 80s and today over the last 30 years is that at at least some major portion of society has learned that it is not okay to jokingly use words that will hurt somebody are. Yeah. That diminish other people's existences because gay people are real people and you are not allowed to say that something is bad by describing it simply as how someone else lives their day-to-day lives and and that's not a nice thing to do in any word or in any case you know when i first started teaching right i had my first class of students in 2004 um and i had a rule in my class you cannot use the word gay as an insult You can't say like this homework is gay or you're being gay or something like that. You were not allowed to use that word that way. And I had to explain to my students why that was because they didn't understand. They were like, but it's not a cuss word. I was like, I would rather you say cuss words than (laughs) than use this word that way. It's not okay Um, because and the example I gave for them is imagine if everyone suddenly decided that your name was a synonym for stupid. Right. So if someone made a mistake and we would go, oh, that's so Bill. Right. Whoa, 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 well, I'm not going to use our child <laughs> as the example, you know, and that was the first time that they had even thought about it like that. And I still had kids that would be like, oh, I would know it was a joke. Yeah, maybe the first time. But after a few years of that, no, you're not going to think that's funny. Um, and I would have to explain it to them every single day. I would get at least one kid in trouble for using that word, and it would take me months to train them not to say it, at least just even in my presence. Um, Fast forward to the last time I had a new class of kids was um, 2017, I think. And I said on the first, you know, I've had the same classroom rules the whole time. 
So you will not use gay as an insult. And they were all like, yeah, of course we wouldn't. Who would do that? <laughs> so <laughs> like even just what the what young kids think is okay to say has changed dramatically in the last 10 or 15 years. But I think that ties back overall to um, the issue with the PG-13 rating and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I am curious, like, you know, when they initially got that rating, what conversations went on about, can we cut some of these words out? Or, you know, maybe if we cut down on the gun violence a little bit, will it get a better uh, reception in England? You know, I don't know. They didn't go into that. And I think it would be an interesting... Um, topic because I imagine those conversations happened. It's not like, you know, it was a mystery to them that the PG 13 rating was not ideal. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, all right. So I think that'll wrap up our conversation on Wolfman's Got Nards. I think the closing thoughts on this particular documentary are exactly as we've said in the conversation. Uh, if you ever fall in love with a movie, if you've ever been inspired by something that you've seen, if you've ever feel like you've really identified as a person with something and taken a core of that artistic message with you into your life and let it help define the person that you become, I think that you will see something in Wolfman's Got Nards that you can connect with. Um, the thing that they've done is really, really special. And I encourage you to seek it out as soon as it is available to you to do so. And not for nothing, um, Andre Gower is online as uh, at Andre Gower on Twitter. Uh, Henry McComas is on Twitter at uh, H Dilla. And I tell you, in our conversation with them, they both said they're really going to miss watching this movie with people when they go to theaters with it as soon as it's out on iTunes. Uh, so if you rent it one night and you're on the social medias, you might want to just tweet those guys out and say, hey, I'm going to watch your movie tonight. Do you want to watch it with me? I'm sure that they would not take that in a creepy way and that it would be quite welcome. <laughs> um, so that'll wrap up our entire conversation about this. Uh, tune in next week where I think we'll be talking about uh, the Wolfman, uh, I think is the one that I've settled on. And then after that, we'll finish our Operation Universal Horror with Creature of the Black Lagoon. That's right. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to watching that one. Ever. <laughs> um, if you don't already follow the podcast you can find us on twitter at b-a-c-e-a -E podcast um, if you're watching these movies with your kids as we're watching them uh, send us a comment or a question there we'd love to know uh, what your experience has been sharing these movies with your children wherever you listen to the podcast please drop us a review uh, if you are listening on itunes five stars yep if you are listening on itunes apple Podcasts, uh, that's really where the majority of our downloads come from and five-star reviews are the type of help that only listeners like you can provide as we seek to expand our audience. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at WBDAS. And I'm trying to be better about my Letterboxd. I've been keeping a list of movies that we've been watching for the podcast. Uh, so if you want to know what's coming down the pike, we often record in advance of the episodes going out. You're welcome to follow me there to see what's coming up. I think that's going to do it for this episode. So until next time. Ew! Wolfman's got nards! My name is, is Horace. Horace. <laughs>